Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running a record label today. I am speaking with Mizra Records, Jeff from Mizra. This is exciting. We have a cool little um, serendipitous uh, story that we kick off with. Um, it's just kind of crazy to think about. Um, but anyway, you'll you'll get to that. Um, thank you so much for for being a listener and, and subscribing to the podcast, which if you haven't already, please do. Um, if you listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, then take a second to leave a review. That would be really, really nice. Um, it, same thing, uh, if you can comment if you listen on any of whatever platform allows you to do that on YouTube or whatever. Um, I don't know if you can leave reviews on Spotify, but whatever. Uh, visit our website, otherrecordlabels.com, where you can download some of our resources and check out our courses. I'd really appreciate that, otherrecordlabels.com, including our brand new toolkit, which is available for free at otherrecordlabels.com slash toolkit. I hope you enjoy this episode uh, with Mizra Records. Okay, here's what's crazy, and, and I'm excited to talk to you about this, because I sure. have never interviewed a record label, and this is... 110 or so episodes in where the label and my label have released the exact same record. <laughs> I think that's, well, not this label, but but you specifically, um, right, the J.P. Right. Haney record. I mean, that is just the craziest thing, the smallest world. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, I, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, <laughs> a little before my time, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's such a good record. Oh. It's just so great to be associated with it. Beautiful, man. yeah. And I mean, I at the time, you know, it's funny, I don't know if I told you this, but I discovered that record because it was back in 2012, and I guess he had pressed it himself, and mm -hmm. he had done this thing, which was probably a way to save money, where he had like done the random color option so the record came in in mm -hmm. various different colors and and mm -hmm. uh splits and mm -hmm. then he did like uh his own jacket and everything with mm -hmm. a sticker on it and and so anyway he took these great press photos of it and of the whole uh, vinyl uh package and then i discovered it through Bandcamp's blog and so this was like back before mm -hmm. they had like editorial or anything and they just had a blog. And so I subscribed like a nerd to their RSS feed. And I this these images came up and I was like, wow, this is a beautiful looking record. I need to hear it. And so mm -hmm. that's when I listened to it. It's honestly in my top 10 favorite records of all time. It's I just think it is oh, yeah. unbelievable. And anyway, then I reached out to him Absolutely, and yeah. we released it. That is so crazy though. Yeah, no, it's awesome, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it just <laughs> it, when you when you start when you've lived in, in indie music long enough, you, you start realizing all these weird connections yeah. to people that you like. You just kind of like you know have maybe reached out to and it's like, oh, we both know that same person, or yeah, you know, we you know we you know, have, <laughs> you know we both kind of cross paths on a, on a record, yeah, in some way. I'm sure it's happened a lot, but. For me, it's one of the stranger things, that's for sure. Especially because the album, I think, is so underappreciated and so obscure. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what made it a little bit weirder for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about Wild Kindness, because that's the the record label that released that J.P. Haney record. Um, and, and, and then tell me about how you came to Mizra. Like, ex explain this, this connection. Yeah, so Wild Kindness uh, was an Ohio-based label, uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and uh, my uh, good friend David Krivnak um, actually started it. And about five years in, I kind of came along and started helping him with it. But that was something that originally was rooted in kind of like the Rust Belt of of the you know Midwest United sure. States, more or less. You know Ohio, you know Western Pennsylvania, basically. And we started to branch out a little bit more and more because, um, you know, David just had this really, you know, phenomenal knack of, you know, connecting with people. I'm not sure, quite sure how he right. did, but uh, JP Haney was one of those uh, uh, connections. Sure. And uh, he was actually the guy who, you know, through Wild Kindness made the connection to Leo DeLuca, who at the time was in charge of Misra Records, which was based in uh, Dayton, Ohio at the time, because that's where Leo was from. Um, so he was basically, um, you know, running it from, you know, his, you know, home, basically. And they had done, Wild Kindness and Misra together had done a seven inch on 
uh, Holopaw on, I, I believe it's still their last uh, record. It's uh, Academy Songs Volume 1. Okay. And um, yeah, we did a 7-inch um, with them, and David was a graphic designer by trade, and kind of what happened was in exchange for doing the the cover art and you know all the layout work and all that stuff it, it kind of became a, a wild kind of co-release with Mizra. i see and yeah at that point i kind of got sucked into the world of Mizra. i kind of got on their, <laughs> their radar and um you know i was i was young and ambitious and i and i kind of you know certainly made that known and so you know you know, I kind of made an impression on Leo. I guess I didn't realize that's awesome. Uh, how how much of an impression I made on him until he was um, kind of retiring from from uh, the the music world. He kind of was he had written a book and he was kind of moving into academia. Hmm. Um, you know, with that University of Ohio, so he he didn't have as much time anymore. So um, yeah, at that point, he said, "Well, there's this guy <laughs> in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who's." you know really impressive that you guys should think about you know asking to replace me so that's when i got the call that was 2014 oh wow uh yeah so um yeah and we uh you know a couple months later how long were you involved with wild kindness so i was at wild kindness for about two years to that point so okay and there's still a label right Yeah. yeah so kind of what happened was i more or less like they're still independent of one another, but I kind of part of the agreement for when me coming over, cause I felt kind of exploited <laughs> if I had just used wild kindness and, and all my friends' releases to, to launch a, <laughs> to launch my career in, in <laughs> the music nice industry. I feel, I felt like I was building my, my reputation on the backs of all my friends. Right. Uh, so I said, I kind of told Mizra, I was like, well, you can have me if you bring everyone else, too. <laughs> oh, nice. Quite the negotiator. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what's the history of, of Mizra, the record label? So it's been around for over 20 years now. It was founded in 1999. Wow. Um, so we've got, yeah, a, quite a, a storied history. Um, actually, um, so founded by uh, Tim Bracey, who some people may know as... Um, someone behind uh, the bands, the Mendoza line and the paranoid style and slow dazzle. Um, yeah. Depe- depending on, um, you know, how old people are. And also um, founded by uh, Phil Waldorf, who is right. uh, better known these days for going on to have uh, started dead oceans, dead oceans over yeah. uh, secretly Canadian. Right. And is now, you know, doing satisfactory with uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. So that was all the way back to '99, and you came in at, at 2014. I mean, that's '99 yeah. is such an interesting year to start a record label. I mean, hindsight is 2020. I mean, you can look back now <laughs> and and see how it all played out. But um, it maybe would have. I guess it would probably have been right, or maybe just around the Napster time. Definitely, file sharing was was huge at that time. Um, mm-hmm. but you could still make a good living out of CDs if you could afford oh, yeah. to make them. So, um, and CDs like hung around for quite some time after that, but that's a, that's a really interesting time. And so what was the, uh, what were things like when you came on at, at 2014? Uh, so it was, um, you know, it, it was just a really exciting time because, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to explain it. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of formal training in terms of you know music industry, so I just kind of everything that I do, I'm just leaping into it. Sure. Um, really, um, you know, I was a little bit starstruck because I was just sort of like, you know, like oh, we work with all these like cool names yeah. in indie rock, and uh, you, you know, I got to go through the paperwork, and like we've got the original contract between Mizer Records you know, and, you know, phosphorescent, you know, like it's to to put together the album that eventually came, you know, was to become all come all right, but it didn't even have a name at that point. It just said title TBD. And it's like, this is like a historical artifact. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, just, uh, I mean, at that point we were kind of wrestling with all the, 
you know, the, you know, the forces and trends that, you know, every other label is kind of dealing with in 2014, certainly um, just, you know, Napster, or, or I'm sorry, you know, you, you mentioned yeah, yeah, <laughs> Napster, yeah, yeah. but now Spotify uh, is yeah. uh, you know, becoming more and more of a thing, increasingly so. Um, yeah, at that point, it was, yeah, you know, it was still important, but, you know, iTunes downloads were still a thing in 2014. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so that's no, totally. What we have to remind ourselves of. Yeah, actually, I think that the, um, I always try to remember dates and stuff, but I remember the fall of 2015 as pretty pivotal because that's when Apple Music came out and they were offering, um, th- or maybe it was the summer, but it was around that time um, of, of late 2015 where they were offering like three month free trials if, with mm-hmm. full access, no ads. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, that's when I felt like everyone, just surrendered and gave and gave into streaming. I mean, that was that's for me. That's when I remember. Yeah, no, I mean, that was, it was definitely a thing where you know when we're you know, I mean, we we just kind of like look at our numbers and we're trying to do some kind of analysis, and uh, you know, we're, we're definitely like, well, we're making more money on you know downloads, even if the, you know downloads are less than you know streams, right? <laughs> so, you know, we, it was definitely more of a strategic thing um you know you know back back in the day and now it's just you know streaming's obviously king but I, I do think it's kind of you know shifting back maybe at, at some point in the near future so mm-hmm. uh, it definitely run, it kind of shows you that you have to kind of be versatile and you know be willing to pivot you know, totally to yeah totally I, and I often I feel like because I've learned my lessons because you know I remember one time we got uh, on a Spotify playlist in 2011 I think maybe yeah it was 2011 and it would have been like probably just when they were in in Sweden and mm-hmm. um I remember just being like the artist told me that they got a Facebook message from somebody at Spotify that they were on a playlist and I was like I don't know what Spotify is and who cares <laughs> but like I've uh, obviously that was a mistake but like um it's taught me to pay attention to things and when like a dollar starts trickling in from a source to like not dismiss it because it could be king <laughs> in a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I, I I think it's um, you, you know, it's it's super easy to to make predictions and, and you know maybe be you know something of a pundit. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, you, you know, who knows really? You know, I, I think you know i don't think even daniel Eck knows what's going to happen in five or ten years with, right. with the music industry yeah <laughs> so, uh you know i think the smartest move is just to kind of be willing to just kind of go with the flow you never know and just really to make all the offers available so i mean when an artist says hey i want to release something on on this platform or you know i want to put the album out over here do this thing i you know i try to keep an open mind and say sure go for it yeah. give it a shot yeah i totally agree <laughs> i i, I so you guys are based in Pittsburgh. Is that just where you're based, or is the entire yeah. label based there? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much based here with me. I kind of uh, you know kind of you know forced, forced to, to move, move myself. I yeah. kind of yeah, I kind of <laughs> you know I just, I just brought my own people on uh, yeah. more or less. Uh, you know, and that's just kind of how it's been throughout the years. Whenever there's a you know a, you know so, some sort of administrative change that typically is how it shakes out. So um, until, you know, obviously before the pandemic, I would say like, yeah, this is where our offices are, except right. <laughs> we're just doing over, everything over email. Yeah, everybody is now. Yeah, nobody has a home base. <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh is interesting. I, I've never um, had a label from Pittsburgh, I think, on the show. I'm, I'm curious, like, what this, the music scene is like. I mean, it's I guess it's sort of irrelevant because record labels just serve the country and the world um, via the internet. So the home base doesn't mean as much as it did maybe 30 or 40 years ago, but uh, what's the music scene like in Pittsburgh? Well, you know, I would say it's, you know, it's pretty good, but we're always trying to get better. You know, I Mm -hmm. think the story of the Pittsburgh music scene is the story of, you know, Pittsburgh itself in the sense that, you know, we, we maybe have a little bit of a chip on our shoulders and we're trying to, to prove to the world, you know, like, Hey, come on. We've, you know, like we've got all these great things going for us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly we've got an amazing hip hop scene, uh, here in Pittsburgh. Um, 
you know, like a lot of um, historians will actually tell you that the West Coast sound, you know, more or less originated because of Pittsburgh, mm. uh, you know, producers and musicians who moved to Los Angeles. Um, so even in the 80s and 90s, um, Pittsburgh's been um, having an impact and uh, it continues to this day, you know, obviously Wiz Khalifa, Mac Miller, you know, originated mm. from Pittsburgh. Uh, we have uh, a really great, um, not quite sure how to distinguish them, kind of like a, you know, punk, emo, kind of like indie rock DIY scene. Okay. Um, certainly been getting a lot of attention from you know, office, you know, even getting um, mentioned in, in Pitchfork and, you know, oh, nice. publications of, of that regard. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. It's one of those cities where your mind doesn't immediately go Pittsburgh right. when you're thinking great music, but it's one of those cities where, like, you do a little bit of digging and you're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually tend to think that, like, blue-collar cities um, – I, I often think that they probably have something really special. They often do have like a really uh, budding underground uh, art scene. Um, I, it's just something that has come up a few times. And, and so I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see uh, like art scenes coming out of the steel factories. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I mean, we actually, we have a, what really drives, I think is we've got a lot of uh, universities yeah, uh, in oh, the okay. area too, and um, yeah, I mean, just with college kids in general, like they need something to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You just kind of, uh, yeah, get some bands together, play in a basement somewhere, and sure. I've noticed that uh, Misra has a few label services on your website, like distribution, uh, licensing is there as well. Can you tell me how that works, and, and even something on the idea of the label group? Can you explain that to me a little bit? It's very fascinating. Yeah, so basically kind of how that started originally was uh, a friend of mine um, had a label down in Austin who was looking for some help uh, getting his records over in Japan. And, uh, you know, we have worldwide distribution. And so I kind of devised this concept where I figured, like, you know, like, let's maybe more or less partner up and, you know, I can kind of help you get this larger reach that you're looking for, you know, mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> great. That, that can I give you that boost up over the fence that you're maybe trying to, trying to find. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, just something that we're doing cause it's, uh, you know, I'm just trying to help, you know, music out as much as I can. And, you know, like, um, you know, for, for what's worth, I don't think he'd be embarrassed for me to say it. that was actually my, my buddy, Tony Presley over at Keeled Scales. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they've actually gone on to uh, get their own. He kind of graduated. Oh, nice! <laughs> to the point That's where great. He was able to, uh, you know, start doing really well on his own, and was you know able to get his own uh, distribution deal without you know our, our yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of the people that we work with as a result of of that intention uh, tend to be uh, younger themselves. You know, like yeah, maybe. You know, I'm in I'm in my 30s, so they tend to be maybe people in their 20s or, or you know just out of college or something sure. like that, or they tend to be, you know, younger labels themselves. You know, if it's a friend who you know their label's been they just started their label and they need some help, I'm kind yeah. of like, all right. Well, I'm really I'm really interested in the resources that are available to record labels that are of this stepping stones type of nature that you're talking about, because a lot of times we look into services like distribution or even, um, you know, higher end digital distribution. And, um, there's a lot of these services that cost hundreds Mm -hmm. and hundreds of dollars a month to subscribe to, or, or they expect you to have a certain amount of volume. They're just completely out of our reach. At the same time, I felt like, there are certain uh, labels or even DIY artists, but there are certain labels who have, have to use your word, to gra- who have graduated just using DistroKid or just using mm-hmm. the same thing that's available to um, any bedroom artist. And so it, it's great to hear of, you know, I really do believe there should be more services available to that, that mid-level just to help us all kind of grow and graduate. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we more or less kind of improvise right. <laughs> this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, I think 
kind of what you're saying is spot on. I think they're, you know, the market is, you know, absolutely demonstrating a need out there. Uh, to whatever extent we're kind of coming in and, and you know, providing that uh, niche on our own, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, it, it was a little bit unintentional and like nowadays it's a little bit more, uh, you know, there's a little bit more intent behind it, but, you know, I, you know, I absolutely think that there, there could be even, uh, you know, greater opportunity if, you know, if some, some yeah. enterprising person was out there and kind of, manage to crack the code for for a lot more folks yeah oh true yeah yeah (laughs) and i mean i even i've encouraged labels you know younger labels smaller labels to offer their services and and the experience that they've uh, uh gathered to small diy artists and i get this all the time i have friends who are diy artists and they just say i have a recording i did it on my laptop and like, how do I get it mastered? Or where do I, mm-hmm. how do I get it uploaded to? I mean, some really basic questions that I'm surprised they don't sure. know on their own. But it, it's interesting that, like, there are some labels who could offer label services. Is that what you guys do? Do you offer label services? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, we basically provide whatever people need. Um, yeah, we're, and we're certainly playing that role, at least from time to time, I guess. And this um, would be non, non-roster artist right yeah absolutely okay, you okay, know, yeah. especially through the city yeah like you know if it if it's someone local like you know pre-pandemic i used to consider myself kind of like uh you know like the at-large pro bono like music consultant for the city of nice, Pittsburgh, nice. <laughs> where, yeah. where i was like you know what just you know what like if you you know order me a PBR and, and as long as there's a drink in front of my hand, I'll, I'll, I'll keep talking and I'll like tell you anything you, you want to know. That's, that's great. Good for you. <laughs> no, and that's so true. Yeah. Like we really do, we really do need that. And, and I'm often surprised and, um, at how, um, how much is mysterious to new labels and new independent artists. And, and not only that, and, and, and like some really basic stuff, but also how they're about to, we see them going down a really dangerous path and we see them about to sign up to something that we know is a complete waste of money, or they're about to press a thousand records just because the price <laughs> point is good. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or even the right. idea of pressing records at all at a certain right. stage is like, Oh, just be careful. <laughs> be careful. I <laughs> just worry about their credit cards. Um, yeah. Well, so great. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's something that I've, I mean, I'm not sure what it's like right now. I, it might take a take a second or two for the landscape to sell, but that was something I would tell bands all the time, at least a couple of years ago, where like, you know, people just want to get their album press on vinyl because bands feel like it's, you know, you're a real boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're you're yeah. a real band, if you're, you know, if you're <laughs> pressed the vinyl. But I told them like, well, do your fans want to buy vinyl off of you? Right, right. <laughs> like, you know, when, when people ask me, I'm like, well, what do your fans want? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what is your customer question. base? Yeah, what? totally. Do they, do they want CDs? Well, and even, do they want to buy tapes? <laughs> yeah. Even that is is a is a uh, clouded question because yeah. they've been told by one or two of their friends, oh, you should totally do vinyl. And so in their mind, they're thinking, well, two people told me I should totally do vinyl. So that equals 200 units right there. (laughs) (laughs) There's always this like hugely like bias, um, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the cool thing, I mean, this always happens when I talk about music. I just fall down rabbit hole. Yes, please. I love it. um, I love it. I do think that um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the, Bandcamp's got that new model now where you can more or less fund a release with pre-orders on Bandcamp. Right, right. So uh, that could be a real game changer, I think. Yeah, I I don't know too. At at the time of recording this, I don't know too much about it. I haven't um, dove into it too much. I don't, I've heard some... Uh, I won't say the word negative, just just a lack of a, a better synonym. But I have I have heard some uh, some things about it that you know it may not work for everyone. It may be for a certain tier of artists who could actually yeah. generate that level of um, funding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's phenomenal. I think that going at it from the angle of pre-selling 
is a huge thing. And at the very least, uh, I think that bands or artists or, or labels should really take a, some serious temperature of their audience, like you mentioned, and even as, as go as far as, as just pre-selling as many as possible to help you pay for your down payment before you even uh, like sign off on, on the yeah. pressing. Well, I think, and, and yeah, without knowing too much about the specifics and not having used it myself, I can't comment on the specifics, but it does seem like it's kind of formalizing something in, in that widely accepted world of we all just kind of know and love and use Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of something that I would tell bands when they'd kind of come to us and they're like, oh yeah, like let's do vinyl, let's do vinyl, you know, but without any sales history, it was like, okay, tell you what, yeah. <laughs> you know, find find a hundred people who are willing to give you 20 bucks. And right. you know, we can we can talk. We can talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like Bandcamp's, you know, kind of, you know, more or less implying that, but it's you know, well, it's maybe it doesn't sound as mean when what <laughs> I really want to look into, I mean, especially from a Canadian standpoint, but I I, I love the idea that they're drop shipping. I love the mm-hmm. idea that they are taking care of all of the logistics of pressing and, and I mean for uh, you know, I've done a few pressings myself, and and it, there's a huge learning curve. There's a lot of mistakes to be made. Mm-hmm. What the heck are you supposed to listen for on the test pressings? You know, sure. the difference between CMYK. You know, all these things you have to um, to learn. And for an independent artist, it could just absolutely um, totally complicate the process and totally overwhelm them. So I know that Bandcamp is charging a little bit of a, a fee that's kind of mm-hmm. built into the cost per unit. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I, I shouldn't say I know. I, I think I've heard and I've read, um, but I'm not 100% sure. But to me, it, that's, you know, they definitely should do deserve a fee if they handle this stuff like, oh, yeah. you know, getting the boxes mm-hmm. for shipping, the, the taking the orders, fulfilling the orders, um, and just even oh, the yeah. idea of communicating with the plant it's a mm-hmm. huge undertaking. Yeah, I mean, if anything, they might be still operating at a loss. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah I, I think maybe a lot of musicians might not realize truly how much work that actually is. So, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, without without knowing the specifics, it's you know, it's you know, even if they are taking a cut, they still might be, you know, <laughs> not truly giving themselves what yeah. they're. No, actually it's, <laughs> it's good. I, I actually hope that they go the same route for cassettes. I think that would be great too. Like just a, a smaller thing. I, I love the idea of drop shipping. That's what I I find oh, yeah. to be really exciting is is you handle everything uh, and, and you know essentially pay me a royalty. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's something. I, I mean I'm fortunate now that we you know we we have people working at first at Misra who. Kind of handle that, sure, but, sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, getting started at, at Wild Kindness, that was something where like I did not look for. <laughs> it was it was cool for a while, like it, like with anything, it's kind of like fun to like oh like oh we got orders coming in. Yeah. Um, but then like after after a couple of years, you're like oh, I gotta go to the post office. I know, <laughs> I know. I was just there the other day with a bunch of records, and and there was a lineup of twelve people behind me, and. It was pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to ask you about, as we're talking about this kind of, uh, um, you know, younger label or, or stepping stone type of, of service, I want to ask you about distribution because yeah. it's a really tricky thing. A lot of us think we should have national distribution for our artists and our releases. But for me, as much as I'd love my records in every independent record store, I know my artists aren't touring or aren't well-known mm-hmm. and active enough to justify pressing a thousand sure. records and shipping them all over the world just to sit on a shelf. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. being pessimistic, but can you talk to me a little bit about physical distribution for small labels and, and, and what you advise? Yeah, no, and well, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because it, it's so funny. That's, it, you know, when I was young and naive, I, you know, people kind of told, you know, they talked about distribution as if it was like, it, it, it would solve all your yeah. problems and you'd be, <laughs> it was the final you know, goal. Like, yeah. Like as soon as you guys get physical distro, like, you know, the money just starts coming in and yeah. like, you well, know, like, sorry, then, to in- then yeah, you're good <laughs> to interrupt you. I, that's how I felt as an independent artist. When I first released yeah. my first CD, I thought 
I am nothing if my CD is not available at HMV in the mall at the record store. So to me, it's like I'm, I still am not official until you can go to the mall, to whatever record store is in the mall, which is no longer there, and flip through <laughs> and find my CD. So go on. I get what you're saying. Yeah, no. So, I mean, obviously that's, you, you know, experience is just realizing that that's, you know, not necessarily the case. Right. And uh, it's as simple as, you know, I, I often tell people, you know, to, to make the analogy kind of complete in their minds. It's like, you know how, because you're talking about a small label, so it's like, or, or a musician. So it's like, you know how, like, you go around to, you know, you go around town store to store and you, you know, talk them all into, you know, doing a consignment deal for your new album. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, that's what we used to do, at least when they're, yes. you know, when we were able to go outside. Um yeah, so it was like before, yeah, you know, before everything, yeah, I just, you know, I drive around Pittsburgh to all the, to all the album, to all the record stores, and I'd be like, hey, I got a new CD, and they'd give me a little consignment form. It's like, yeah, here, we took five of your CDs, okay, and um, yep, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> if they sell, they come back in a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they sell themselves, they don't, they don't. Yeah, and um, they're not going to tell you if they're sold out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, so basically, Think of physical. If you get a physical distribution deal, just imagine that times you know the whole country, right. or you know the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> if you have international distribution, but so it's like you have access to that, which good for you, but it's not going to guarantee you any sales. Yeah. And the thing that I always have to tell, uh, you know, whether they're a label or a small band, is like, you know, I most of my time running the label it's like i actually spent a lot of time thinking about selling points for albums that a record store could use to sell a record to a potential customer because you got to think it's like you know we're based uh, you know i'm based in pittsburgh pa so i say okay well you're a pittsburgh band why does anyone in texas or california care about you at all right yeah <laughs> have you ever have you ever been to Los Angeles. Have you ever played a show in Los Angeles? <laughs> Why should a record store in LA carry your record at all? Why should anyone walking into a record store in LA carry your record or buy your record? You, you know, and unless, so what, yeah, I was like, and so what's your solution yeah. for that? What does that look like? Well, it's different for anyone, but that's, that's really, you know, that that's kind of the jumping off point because, okay. you know, maybe a lot of people, they're like, yeah, we, we have toured, um, you know, maybe not to LA, but you're like, here's a list of all, you know, the places we've been up and down the East coast, throughout the Midwest, down South, you know, and yeah. that's really helpful for me to take to our distributor and be like, okay, you know, this band is hitting all these regions, you know, we could even maybe set them up where they play a show in the record store. If, if the, if the store is up for that, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's a thing where, like, if you put them out on a display case, you know, someone might have seen them in a show, you know, fairly recently because sure. they're going to be coming through and they'd be like, oh, I saw those guys. You know, I meant to buy the, the record at the at the merch table, but, you know, I didn't get a chance to. I'll, I'll grab it here. Um, so that's obviously the main thing that people are, are thinking of, uh, you know, and, and it could be a million other things, too. It's like, you know, maybe you're, you know, you got a song on a TV show or a commercial and right. people might know you from that, or maybe you've got some other, you know, and so is kind it, of weird claim to fame. Is it important, <laughs> you know, it kind of, is it important to put like a sticker on the front of a record in the, so it's on the record story and say, you know, featured on this episode or, you know, re uh, recently on tour with such and such. Like, have, have you ever, is that one of oh, the yeah. solutions? Oh, absolutely. Especially. Yeah. Like if you've got a, like if there's like basically one big thing that you want people to know about right. your record, right? At which that they could like, you know, someone's walking through the store, and we've all been in record stores, so you can kind of put yourself in these shoes where, like, if you see a sticker and it says like, "As seen on this episode of this show," you can be like, "Oh, I I watched that show sometimes." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or um, you know, just from our own experience, just off the top of my head. You know, we had a guy who was a big, um, you know, who was a regular on NPR Mountain Stage. Okay. Uh, so that was, you know, like a just like a program on on NPR here in the U.S. And so that was like a thing. Was like, 
Well, this might not be for everyone, but if you listen to NPR and you listen to that show, you know, it's this might catch your eye. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you might not know that otherwise. So we really want you to know that. So we're going to put on a sticker real big. <laughs> so asking you about distribution, if I, I, clarify something for me, if you have a distribution deal, quote unquote, to have your records in independent record stores all over America, does that mean that? immediately your record is in every single store or does that just mean does each owner uh, or buyer at those stores have to be convinced to stock your record how does that work it's it's the second one okay there's (laughs) there's no guarantee there you know like you're not guaranteed to immediately ship you know ten thousand copies of of whatever your next record is going to be um to kind of boil it down to the to the simplest terms, it, it essentially means that record stores, you know, across you know America, across Canada, have the option right to buy your record. Now. Okay, yeah, and and it's it might be you know it still might be a massive leg up for for your label because you know it's a lot easier for people to become aware. Of, of your bands and aware of your latest releases now, um, which is certainly a good thing. Um, and it certainly increases the chance that you might make a convincing enough pitch that certainly a much higher you know, number of, of stores and, and of buyers will say, you know what, let's, let's give this a shot. That sounds interesting. Hmm. Let's, let's order five or 10 copies and, and see how it does. Yeah. So yeah. it, it's one of those things where, yeah, like it's it's not you know a license to print money. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you get a if you get a distribution deal, sure. um, it's kind of like everything else in, in, in the music industry that I I certainly have found this to be the case. You know, every every step up, like you think it's going to be a reward, <laughs> and you think it's going to just make your life easier, yeah. but really all this is an opportunity to work harder. Yes. With with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah, it's like you think that like physical distribution is really just like it's going to be the answer to all your problems, and you're just going to be able to you know make a you know sell a ton of records and and, and you know like just kick back and relax. And yeah. really, it's 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 more like congratulations. You now have the opportunity to work even harder than you were before. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if if every record store in America wanted to carry my record and wanted to carry five copies of my record. Immediately, I would be flattered, and I would think, "Oh wow, I've made it." And then I would realize, "Oh no, I've I've got to come up with ten thousand dollars to press five thousand <laughs> copies of this record." Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden, it becomes uh, the responsibility is back on me, and the the risk is now back on me. It's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where you can kind of get a feel for, um, you know, like if it, if it's a really small record, you know. There might only be, you know, like a hundred or two hundred. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like a little trial balloon almost. Sure. Um, just to see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, if like literally every store in America or in North America took five copies, y- you would have to be doing something, right? I right. Think. Yeah. That's right. Totally. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, you get a sense for for those things and in, in planning it out. But basically, as far as I understand, it's a computer system benefit, right? That a fan would come into the office and or into the record store and say, "Do you have so and so's new record?" And it's so obscure that they wouldn't have it on the shelf by default uh, unless mm-hmm. the owner was a fan. And and they would type it into the computer and say, "Yep, I can get it on my next order on Friday." Is that is that kind of how it works? Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's that, or it's a combination of that plus. You know, because you know, certainly, you know, the the continuing appeal of record stores in, in 2021 is is something of the, you know, the curator factor, where you know you go to the record store because you know that the guy behind the counter has really good taste in music, and before you know, you walked into the store and he says, "I got a record I think you're gonna like," because he he heard your pitch. Six months ago, when you said I got, you know, this this new album's coming out, um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, here's everything you need to know about it, you know, and the guy in that store said, you know what, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. Sure. And and are you, know? you? How can you? How can labels pitch 
to store buyers uh, or or do distributors do that on their behalf? Like, how can a buyer be uh, a curator? Uh, and I mean, at my local record store, he's very much a curator, and, and he posts on Instagram every day and 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 plays records uh, through Instagram. Sure. Um, I think it's a great, uh, it's a it's an underappreciated um, method of music discovery. Mm-hmm. But how can record labels pitch a new release and say, "Listen, maybe take a chance on this." Um, you know, is it sending a SoundCloud link or, or saying, Hey, look at these, the Spotify playlists or whatever. Well, it's, um, it, it's through the distribution. You, you kind of work on, you kind of cook up something. It's just like a one sheet, basically. Okay. It's like a PDF of just kind of like, you know, Hey, you know, Scott's got a new album coming out. Here's, you know, pretty much all the facts and all the details that you need to know. Yeah. And here's why you should care about it. <laughs> sure. Um, and and there is a sound. There's a private SoundCloud link. Uh, typically, um, you don't really try to sell um, physical stores on look at these Spotify <laughs> uh, play counts because physical stores hate Spotify. Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you don't want to be like, dude. The, you know, the, the lead single is blowing up on you know, this Spotify editorial playlist, I don't think that's necessarily going to yeah. <laughs> over. No, I, I, um, yeah, that's a good point. But, Amazon uh, yeah, loves I mean, it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Selling great on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I think it's a thing where a lot of, uh, you know, certainly independent record stores have regular customers. Like you, you mentioned, it, it's kind of something where, you know, you, you know, you kind of develop that rapport um, with people behind the counter and vice versa. Yeah. And, you know, they have a sense of what may or may not do well in their stores. Um, you know, and they could also be wrong too. Um, you know, they never know. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point. <laughs> have you, but it's, let's, uh, this is a great topic. And I, I really appreciate it. I've, and I'm learning a lot. And I know it, it, there is a bit of a mystery um, in this process because what we talked about at the beginning is there's a lot of small labels like myself who don't have access to national distribution or international distribution for that matter. And and so um, I, I think it's good to kind of get grounded and say, okay, this is something I want to work towards. I'm not ready for yet. Or maybe there's labels listening who are saying, hey, we're ready for this. Uh, I think we have some good reasons why people should stock our records. So I like this topic a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to I want to move on. I want to ask you about streaming and playlisting. Sure. Um how how have you adopted to that um or adapted to that just um as things change so much and we touched on it a little bit in the beginning but um is that something that and and and, and touch on this as well because I, I have to sure. think that some genres can do better on playlistings um, playlists than others, depending on how well your music complements different moods or activities. Uh, have you found success w- with uh, playlists? Yeah, well, I mean, the, I, I mean, y- you know, without fawning too much over Spotify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, the the nice thing about playlists in, in general, if you want to talk about that topic, is that it's you know there are so many. It's not like there's one playlist you know some are larger than others of right. course uh, and there's some there's some general interest uh playlists out there that they have but uh yeah i mean you could certainly end up on you know what a lot of people would consider to be a niche genre playlist and might yeah. end up wildly influential and impactful for <laughs> for your band's trajectory or, or for uh, you know for you know that determines how well an album does yeah true uh yeah we've we've certainly had that the case um playlists are you know they're they're very uh ephemeral in the sense that it's almost like uh tv and film licensing because you know I've, i i tell people all the time you can't really write a business plan Yes. That says like, you know, we're going to spend, you know, $5,000, you know, like on recording, we're going to spend, you know, another couple thousand getting the album pressed on, on vinyl and CD. And then, you know, we're, the lead single is going to get picked up by fresh finds and we're yeah. going to get, no, you know, right. and then totally. we're going to, yeah. And then, you know, Pepsi's going to give us a commercial <laughs> and that's you know, right. we're going to be in this car, we're going to be in this car commercial and that's how we make our money back. You, you, 
he literally can't make a plan that says that. That's a <laughs> so good point. I, I ask people to be be realistic when they're when they're trying to figure these things out. Um, it, it, it's something that obviously when it happens, it, it's great and it's it, you know it does really well, and you want to lean into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in terms of best practices, you know, we're certainly. Um, thankful that um you know misery is distributed by red eye worldwide and they do an amazing job uh pitching all of our upcoming titles uh and, and all dis- distributors will have some kind of a relationship with uh the platforms whether it's you know spotify or sure. apple music or, or amazon um so they all tend to do some form of pitching as i understand it um you know and of course spotify lets you pitch uh directly now too so you don't even have to have distribution yep, uh, necessarily. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and there's no right or wrong way, you know, necessarily. Um, you, you know, uh, songs end up on playlists, you know, without labels, without distribution. Totally. Uh, you know, someone, someone's got a good song and, and someone at Spotify heard it and said, you know what, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, there, there's not really a, a um, you know, a book that someone can buy that says like, here's how you get, you know, here's how you get a, you know, a playlist for your, you know, for every song you ever want to put out. That's yeah. that's not going to be the case. Well, I, I like what you said, and I've been guilty about, you know, writing a business plan for a record and and saying that we're going to pitch it to playlists, and you know, that's just such. Uh, intangible thing and i've i've been guilty of that and 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 even just thinking you know if i have a record coming out i'm going to do a handful of pre-release singles you know the the amount of money i make on this record is totally based on luck (laughs) it's just whether or not somebody uh picks me <laughs> you know like somebody is kind <laughs> to me on that day that they get pitched because it can really you know mean whether we pay back the, the how much it costs to make the record or not whether or not we get put on sure. some of these it's such a i that's what i really hate about it i do love th- this passive listener culture out there that i think complements the active listener who are who are on bandcamp sure. or in the record stores i do love sure. this marriage i think it can work um mm-hmm. but gosh it's just so mysterious still mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's it's certainly something where you know it's difficult because mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's kind of um it's a little scary frankly that you know someone can can make or break uh the album that you may have spent years working yeah. on just because they're in a bad mood yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i've heard i've heard crazy things about some of the mega playlists like some of the um like the your favorite coffee house playlist like you sure. know talk about make or break like if somebody you know, whoever, whatever employee it is decides to put it on, like instantly you're getting fans for life and you're making, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars in the, in the couple of weeks that you're on it. It, And, uh, it's just, it's just crazy. I wish I had a friend there. (laughs) (laughs) Wish my roommate worked there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, this, Here's a segue because I'm overly focused on streaming and I shouldn't be. And and, and what um, I, I think about what it can do, uh, good or bad, for a release. And I probably overlook areas of the industry that could help my releases and, and my artists. Is there something that comes to mind that you have found works for your label and your releases that is maybe generally overlooked as as all of us are so distracted by playlists maybe today maybe it's vinyl um in your opinion is there something that some labels are overlooking uh well yeah i I don't know if any anyone's overlooking it but i mean like it's kind of i would put it in that category of it's a cliche but cliches exist for a reason right (laughs) where it's like i would say that it's touring um Uh i have I have really, I mean, if you want to talk about like, you know, writing a business plan and coming up for a way to, you know, recoup what you put into a particular project, you know, I've really not found a, you know, and that's not right or wrong. It's just kind of how things are. It's, but it's, you know, 
a lot of it will go back to touring and not just, you know, the fact that, you know, people will buy the album at the merch table, hopefully, but it's also due to the fact that, um, you know, if you're doing a lot of touring and you're doing it um, in a large enough geographic area, that'll certainly increase the number of people that have, that have heard of you and, and might want to request uh, your your album mm-hmm. when they, next time they go to the record store. Or if you're lucky enough to have some kind of distribution arrangement, it's something where uh, you'll be able to, uh, you know, people will order more copies of it from record stores, uh, you know, and that'll drive streams. Um, certainly they've, you know, proven, I think, time and time again, um, you know, streams go up, you know, in areas where, you know, bands have recently been to town. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it just really becomes a positive feedback loop. And, um, and as, you know, there's not really a silver bullet for you know, anything in the music industry, you know, if, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, and as, yeah, and as much as, you know, there's something you can do to, you know, really help your career. It's just, you know, playing a lot of shows, playing to a lot of people, um, you know, really as, as much as you can or as much as other people let you. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really yeah. good point. And it, it is like, you know, one of the older promotion promotional techniques but um i think so much of us in the social media age are looking for the quickest and easiest and frictionless way to promote our music um but mm-hmm. everyone's doing that and so posting on twitter yeah. that we have a new album out or or putting the cover mm-hmm. on instagram everyone can do that and people are doing it a, a few times a second all over the world um touring is something that is still um so because it's so difficult um it mm-hmm. it almost provides you with a bit of an advantage i guess right well and the, the the kind of the beautiful thing about it though is to an extent it is kind of democratic though because you know that that is kind of like advice that you kind of can give to any band in any situation mm-hmm. and, and you can never stop giving <laughs> yeah. that advice to a, to a band really it's it's never going to be bad advice no matter what level you're at and um yeah i mean if you know regardless of genre regardless of yeah like really anything you know about your situation um you know you know i don't want to be ableist or anything like that but you know most people should be able to uh you know, you know, if you're a band, you should be, you know, performing shows and, you know, just, uh, you know, if you're willing to work for it, good things can happen for you. Well, there's a real intimate connection that happens when you see someone live by accident as an opener mm-hmm. or, or a friend drags you out and um, that you just do not get on a Spotify playlist. And I have had people reach out to me and say, I, I discovered you on an algorithm and, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully I have them as a fan for life, but um, you know, that connection that happens in a venue uh, on a night in a show um, is really special. And hopefully it can actually translate to them following you on Spotify, following you on sure. social media so that they check out every record that you you put out in the future. Yeah. And, and I find that social media really kind of follows those interactions. I don't, I don't know. You know, and certainly there there are lots of exceptions to this, but I, I think that the the most powerful connections, like you were saying, are because you know someone saw a live performance. Um, I don't necessarily know how how strong those ties are if someone just kind of discovered you know a YouTube channel or uh, YouTube might be different. That's that's a different content. But, yeah, no, know, like, I know what you're saying. If someone, yeah, if someone finds your Instagram or your YouTube, and it's just you know, like it's kind of funny. Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know how. I don't necessarily know if you have those people for life in the same way that you. That's you know, a great just mentioned point. that they saw you at a show and they thought you were amazing, and you know they bought a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that is that is a great point. I I love that. That's. It's something we don't talk about a lot on this show, and and in the modern time, well, I mean, obviously during the pandemic, it's it's lost. But um, a lot of us are, like I said, are just looking for cheaper, easier, um, you know, ways to 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 reach people. But um, that's a good reminder, a good reminder that touring is is difficult, 
uh, and it's a cliche, um, but for mm-hmm. a reason. I think that's very wise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of things in life, <laughs> as, as I get older, I realize, like, well, some things are, are, are boring and, and true, but, yeah. you know, they're still true. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Well, and even just if it's painful, it's probably working, you know, it's like breaking a exactly. sweat. It's like at the gym, yeah. you know, like if if it's if it hurts, then it's probably good for you. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, like, I, I got, I, you know, like, I, I occasionally get, a, get accused of, you know, when I advocate the the band's tour, people you know think it's a socioeconomic thing, and it's like no one's no one's saying it's easy. Like I said, if it was if it was easy, you know, like you know, like every band in the world would be would, would sure. be famous. But uh, you know, it's you know, so it, you're it's saying one of those things. Are you saying? Sorry to interrupt. Are you saying yeah. that that losing money on the road, which I, I would imagine is pretty inevitable uh, for 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 new bands and stuff, uh, but, uh, losing money or, or at least being in, in the black or the red, but in the black, uh, would you say that that's worth it then? That is a, that's an investment, uh, in your long-term career. I would say it depends on how much you're losing and for how long you're losing money. Um, I've, you know, you know, as someone who's, you know, kind of, you know, on the East coast of, of the United States, I would advise people, um, you know, from the East coast, not to get in a van and, and drive directly to the West coast sure. in, in California. Um, I, I wouldn't tell people to spend, you know, to spend two or $3,000 on what will ultimately amount to a, a vacation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 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 Uh, you know, I tried to, and it's uh, when I tell people, you know, especially like a, a small band or someone just starting out, um, you know, touring doesn't mean, you know, drive, drive to Toronto, drive to New York, drive to Chicago. Yeah. Good drive point. to Los Angeles with a hotel uh, you know. in between. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, especially, uh, you know, east of the Mississippi river, you've got little, towns you know like in, in pittsburgh it's like we we've got little towns you know like every 50 miles interesting <laughs> so it's like you know like i didn't i didn't say you know drive to manhattan and play in front of two people in the bartender you know yeah, right I, I said drive to altoona pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point and, and yeah play a show there <laughs> That's interesting, and maybe we should do a whole episode on touring because it, it, I do think of the first thing you said, which is getting in a van, driving for eight hours. Now, this is me coming from Canada, where we yeah. have just much bigger landmass and nothing in between. But I like just you know driving for a long period of time, getting out, playing a show, packing up, staying at a friend's house or or in a hotel. But in a way, I mean, there's parts of America you could really stay at home, drive out an hour, play a show, drive home and do that with, with a lot of surrounding cities or towns. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say at a certain point, I think probably once you cross the Mississippi, it starts getting a little far out. Like, sure. I mean, if you're a band, um, yeah, just, you know, from, you know, Oklahoma city or Tulsa or from, you know, somewhere out in New Mexico or yeah. Panhandle, Texas, it's, you know, my, my heart definitely goes out to you because it's <laughs> going to be a lot harder to do what, I, what I'm advocating here. Right. But, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, you know, a band in Philadelphia, you know, really doesn't have an excuse that they can't like, <laughs> you know, play like, you know, a, a, a town, you know, two hours away, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and be home that night after making, you know, like, okay, well maybe you, you broke even because like you got a hundred bucks or whatever like that and gas was 75 yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That is a really good point. I think that's a good idea to to relook at touring. I just think the word touring makes you think you get on the road, you don't come home for three months and you only have one shower, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to look like that. Yeah, I think that there's you know a lot of opportunities out there for people who are willing to kind of maybe you know put that image in their head aside and are willing to put in some hard work you know like especially like when i was younger i used to look down on cover bands but you know what i know several people who pay mortgages playing in cover bands yeah (laughs) yeah no that's true that's true yeah i i know a few as well 
Um, no, that's all good point. Hey, listen, thank you so much for doing this, Jeff. This has been yeah. uh, really enlightening. There's been a lot of stuff um, that we've covered that have, has been really helpful. I'm glad we got to camp out on, on that distribution thing because I saw for sure. um, yeah. those label services and um, mm-hmm. I think it's so great. Thank you so much for doing this show. I'm so glad to finally get you on here. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. And thank you all for listening. Make sure you go to Misra, uh, records.com, which is M-I-S-R-A records.com to check them out uh, and, and check out all of their great releases for, for how long they've been around. So incredible. And please visit our website, otherrecordlabels.com. Um, where you can sign up to grab a few of our resources if you're thinking about starting a record label. Also, tons of resources for if you've been running a record label for 10 or 15 years. There might be some stuff that can help inspire you or get you back on track, get you organized. So visit otherrecordlabels.com. And thanks so much for being a listener.